0: Welcome to Creating Your Happy Place, a podcast that explores what it takes to create your happy place and then empowers you to do whatever it takes to get happy at home. I'm Rebecca West, host of Creating Your Happy Place and author of the book Happy Starts at Home, and I'm so glad you're here today. Now today we're going to talk about what happens when we outgrow our homes, and if you've been thinking about building a backyard cottage, this episode is for you. Now, sometimes we outgrow our homes because the way we need them to function has changed. And sometimes we outgrow our homes because our families have gotten bigger. Maybe we've had some kids. Maybe it's time to have our parents move in with us. Maybe we need to create a more functional work from home experience. Or maybe we want some extra income creating a rental space on our property. There are all kinds of reasons why we might need to think outside the box of our existing homes. Our guest today knows firsthand what it's like to go through making room in your existing home. She lives in a home that was built in 1922, but she added a second level to it to make sure there would be enough room for a growing family, which now includes one husband, three kids, one dog, one turtle, and six chickens. She not only went through the process of expanding her own home, but she also helps others do the same thing as a residential designer with her company, one Studio. I've invited her here today to talk about what we need to consider when we're thinking about changing the footprint of our homes, either by converting a space we already have or by adding a backyard cottage to our properties. All that being said, I am delighted to welcome to the show residential designer, certified aging in place specialist, and ADU specialist, Val Sporeleader. Welcome, Val. Thank you, Rebecca. It's so good to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation. Now, to start the conversation, I understand that when folks finally reach out to you, they've usually done a ton of research on ADUs. They've gotten a lot of generic information on the the how-to's and the can they do that's, but they're coming to you finally to figure out how can they add a backyard cottage on their specific property given their unique situation. But for folks who haven't started all that research yet, can you just start out by defining what an ADU or a DADU is? Sure. ADU
1: stands for Accessory Dwelling Unit. And it's kind of a wonky term for a backyard cottage or an interior or internal living space that is completely separate, has its own kitchen, its own bathroom, its own bedroom. There's a lot of building code issues they have to meet. It's not just a room in the basement with a bar sink. (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot more than that, and and but a lot of people start there. So normally, when I say ADU, I'm talking about the internal variety. When I say DADU or Dadu, it's the backyard cottage, which is completely separate. It's it's like building a whole other single family resident home, right down to its own outdoor spaces.
0: So. I'm curious, have you been seeing more interest in building these external cottages, backyard cottages, or internal ADUs since the pandemic? Has there been a change that you've noticed?
1: There's been two things that have caused more interest in it. The first probably being the city of Seattle loosening restrictions on building them. They've existed for a while, for a long while, very informally. I always like to refer to like Fonzie living over the Cunningham's garage and happy days, you know, like there's always been some version of it. And then a couple, like about a decade or two ago, the city started actually calling it a, you know, giving it a specific term and meaning and putting rules and sometimes restrictions on them and sometimes the restrictions were really great like you need you need to create a parking space. Well in the urban center of Seattle, parking's really tight anyways so to have to add a parking space for an occupant of a built you know a, a residence that probably doesn't even have a car, you know that was a big that was really hard hurdle for people to get over so in august of 2019 the city of seattle um, voted to loosen a lot of the restrictions and the two big ones that people felt would be easier to build a backyard cottage is the parking you didn't have to create that anymore and the owner isn't required to live on the site Hmm. full-time because that was another one that was really hard people were like well i might retire and move south and now you know, I can't have my backyard cottage and, but that was a scary one because a lot of people and me included kind of was afraid developers would move in and really start changing what a backyard cottage was. Uh, So far that hasn't happened. It's still a very personal experience for the person who lives on that lot and is choosing to build it. I really haven't ran into anyone that is building one and doesn't live on the
0: property. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. There's a lot of concerns, you know, that whole not in my own backyard, not in my, <laughs> not in my backyard mentality of worrying that, you know, yes, you want to develop your property, but now there's not going to be as much parking on our street or, you know, rental properties aren't necessarily considered as community centered as non-rental properties. So I know that there can be a lot of contention around these discussions, too.
1: And there was it got de- the vote got delayed for months, maybe even up to a year or more because of that. But it did pass ultimately, and so people were hearing a- about it a lot in the news. And that was like August 2019. Well, by January February 2020, <laughs> things had really really changed. But in a way that people were like, kind of put those two things together, you know, like, hey, they, you know, I've been hearing about these backyard cottages and these internal dwelling units. And now I have my whole family at home. We're all trying to do school from home. We're all trying to work from home. I have older family members, and I'm in this right now, where I... I want the option to have them come live with me. And when I talk to my clients, it's usually like, we want a, our family
0: close, but not too close. Right, exactly. <laughs> we all still need our separate spaces. Yeah, I mean, that's even shown up with the people who maybe have gotten a COVID test and have tested positive and they need to isolate themselves even within their own internal family. We're yes. demanding so much more of our homes in terms of that flexible, multi purpose functionality far beyond what any of us, I think, ever imagined yeah. In, in years past. It's our workspace, our
1: living space, our school space, our everything space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the things that frequently come up that are limitations on being able to have an ADU, an internal ADU, and what are the limitations you often encounter when it comes to the backyard cottage or the dadu? The internal
1: one, the internal ADU, which is normally in a basement, they can be in the attic, they can be in addition to the home, but most of my clients, in fact, I can, I think almost all, I'd have to look through my projects, but have been in the basement. So the hard thing with basements design wise is you want as much natural light as possible. That's a little harder in the basement, not impossible, but it's, you have to plan for it more than you would on a main floor mm-hmm. house. And the big one is egress requirements. So when you normally you put the living spaces in the front where all the light is and where the maybe if it's a walkout daylight basement, you know, where the door is and the bedroom's going back. Well, that's they're normally underground or somewhat underground. And so you really have to plan for that emergency escape window. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different ways to meet that requirement. But it is something that can stop our project if, if you can't get that one. One thing done. The city, there's a lot of exceptions to many things, but (laughs) health and safety is not one of them. (laughs) So, for obvious reasons. So, there's things like that. And then separating the utilities can be hard because you need to do that, especially the electrical panel. Not all utilities have to be separate, but the electrical panel is a big one. You have to be able to shut off your own electricity. Hmm. For a backyard cottage, a lot of those restrictions aren't there. So the biggest restriction for a backyard cottage or dadu is cost. <laughs> it's, it's building a whole nother house. Yeah. But instead of building a house and you moving into it, you're building a house and maybe renting it out and making income. So there's right. there's a lot of numbers to be run when considering a backyard cottage
0: so going to the the internal dwelling for a second speaking of egress you know that's that emergency exit or entrance entrance in case of a fire or some other kind of problem obviously it's not something you want to avoid you know i wouldn't try to do this you know without permits and not to code because if somebody is asleep and a fire happens, I assume you would like your person who is sleeping in that space to escape healthily, with their life and limbs intact. And one thing that people often don't think about is it's not just whether or not you or a small child could get out of a small window, but you want a fully equipped fireman to be able to get in through that window.
1: Yeah, so, win- so I
0: think pe- people are often bigger that sometimes. Yeah, exactly. it's like now you got to
1: imagine a, a firefighter with a tank on their back, most likely crawling into your space and. And then taking you out of it so, exactly, or someone you love out of it so it's it's definitely a place you know you would never
0: cut back or yeah
1: or you know so it's a it's a big one but it's not one people normally think about when they're thinking about a new home
0: right absolutely and when it comes to the backyard cottages obviously cost can be a really big prohibitive factor and you know I, I always like to talk about well what kind of numbers are we looking at but those numbers could be could be A huge range depending on how big the property is or the the building you're going to build is. But I'm assuming that in terms of building a from scratch property, we're talking at minimum what, 200,000? Is that even too low? I think that would have been okay about a year ago,
1: (laughs) but it's up from there. I would say $250,000 or more. And a lot of times people want a square foot cost, but with Mm. backyard cottages, you can have a 300 square foot cottage or a 1,000 square foot cottage. But in the end, you still have to have a, a kitchen. You still have to have a bathroom. And so some costs don't change. Someone once was saying to to do a bigger backyard cottage, you're really just buying longer boards, you know, like (laughs) all the other stuff is that cost is still there. You can't say, oh, kitchens are expensive. We're going to leave that out, (laughs) (laughs) right? It's it's really hard to calculate costs. And sometimes the cost is before you even start building, you know, what kind of access do you have to your backyard? Are you on an alley and every, you know, all the workers can pull up right there? Or are they taking everything, including, you know, the concrete for the foundation through a five foot, you know, setback between your fence and, and your house. And, you know, that's, there's a lot, it makes the project a lot harder logistics wise when it's set up like that. So, and that's even before you start building.
0: And that's sort of like the same way a a condo building, oftentimes the contractors will charge a lot more to do a remodel in a condo building because where are you going to park? Do you have access to the freight elevator? Are you limited to certain hours when you can work? So the contractors are going to be considering how hard or easy is it going to be to execute this project when they're pricing it as well. Yeah, exactly.
1: And most homeowners wouldn't think about that part of it as adding extra cost.
0: You mentioned setbacks when you were talking about like picturing the contractors bringing all their gear through this tiny little alley next to your house. I know the setbacks can have a really big impact on whether or not you can do a backyard cottage. People might look out in their backyard and go, I have plenty of space, not realizing that setbacks are a thing. So tell us what setbacks are and general knowledge about them. Yeah, so a lot of times when people hear the general information, they're
1: like, well, my lot is 3,200 square feet or bigger. I've met that requirement. I can now have a backyard cottage. (laughs) But there's so many other things to take in account after that. So you're like, okay, you checked off box one. Excellent. Now let's go to the next one. You have to be five feet back from side and and rear neighbors. You have to be a certain distance back from the main house, which can be five feet. Or if you don't want to do all the fireproofing that's required for that, you got to be back 10 feet. Mm -hmm. And then you might have a shed, an existing shed on your lot that's taking up, you know, Ground space. You might have an eight foot tall deck that's taking up space. There's so many things that, and, I, and I, f- I feel like this is the first thing I try to do when people contact me is I, I check the generic information, which they've probably already have, but I just double check that before we even meet to make sure it's worth meeting. And then I start to look at that more specific information. What, what can you do on your lot with mm-hmm. your existing stuff? And sometimes people will remove a shed. Sometimes they'll break up some concrete. It was just there when they moved in. They don't really ever use it. So there's, there's so many specific things to each property that make it difficult. And another one is like a large significant tree. Mm. You can't just cut down any tree to put a cottage in because the city has a lot to say about trees right. and it doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's something we have to take into account, put on the site plan and discuss how it's going to be addressed.
0: So we're talking about like what kinds of structures are already existing on the property because there's rules about how much of your land can be covered by houses and impermeable yeah. product like concrete. And stuff. Yeah, and so trees. along with setbacks
1: comes lot coverage mm-hmm. and rear yard coverage and a lot of things that don't get talked about in general terms because they there's no way you can give that information without knowing the specific lot that you're talking about so lots of land all that falls under land use so not exciting
0: No, but the results can be really exciting. It's just a matter of knowing what checklist to go
1: through. Yeah, it's definitely required. And it's something you have to think and talk about and document, but, you know, usually not as fun as picking what your house is going to look like.
0: (laughs) I'm assuming that if somebody had a backyard shed or a backyard garage that already existed, that converting that into a backyard cottage is easier. Is that true? KIND OF DEPENDS ON HOW THE SHED WAS BUILT.
1: I RECENTLY HAD A PROJECT WHERE THE GARAGE WAS BUILT IN 1930. SO ANY EXISTING BUILDING HAS TO BE BROUGHT UP TO CURRENT codes. SO IT'S REALLY HARD TO BRING A 1930'S BUILDING UP TO CURRENT CODE. IT CAN BE DONE. I HAVE NO CONTRACTOR WHO dug holes to get underneath that existing concrete slab to put in footings and do all this, you know, stuff to bring it up to code. But that takes a lot of time and money. And in the end, it's just a concrete slab that you could have broke up and replaced. And a lot of times when people break up the concrete on their property, I say, hey, let's not just... We send that to the recycler, let's build a, a path, you know, with those concrete chunks or so a lot of almost everything I talk about with my clients is how can we how can we save money or how can we reuse this product? And so existing buildings, yeah, it's really a case by case. But if, if it was a recently built existing building, you have a much better chance of reusing it for
0: sure. And when we go back inside, when we're thinking about the ADUs, the internal dwellings, I know that one of the things that has come up with some of my clients is that their ceiling heights aren't tall enough. So hmm. I'm wondering about a couple of things. So first of all, is there a specific code that says how much ceiling height you have? Have you, you know, what's the process of digging out a basement or do you lift the house? And when you're thinking about an ADU inside of a home and, and somebody wants to make that downstairs space as open as it can be, what kind of structural work do you have to do? What how does it affect the rest of the house above it?
1: Yeah, it's it's another one of those that's really case by case basis. I will say this about basements because they are basements and, and this doesn't apply to any other story of the house, but basements are holding up the whole house. Mm-hmm. So it is much harder to change things down there and the, most jurisdictions realize that. So they give a little more leeway. Hmm. You know, in most living spaces, seven foot is the required ceiling height in a basement. You can get down to about 610 and even then sometimes if you have beams that come down you know there's a little bit of leeway for that they're very aware that to change a basement is very difficult however <laughs> you can't have a six-foot ceiling down there <laughs> either and i don't think anyone would want to live in a six-foot ceiling right so then you would you would look at okay what's the best way to try to get more space sometimes it's getting rid of all the ductwork you know, maybe you have a ductless heat pump now and get rid of that big furnace with all that big ductwork work mm-hmm. in the ceiling. It can be breaking up the slab and digging down further and pouring a new slab mm-hmm. to get that height. I haven't heard of anyone raising a house. I mean, it's totally something people do, which I have heard. I have not, I have not had a project like this, but I've seen it done in my neighborhood and and I've talked to the contractors on the project. And it's actually not as crazy expensive as someone would think (laughs) because, and I don't know why because to me it seems like the craziest thing to take this especially older homes in seattle and and raise the entire house and we you know put in uh taller foundation walls and and the structure changes that need to happen with that it's like how can that not be a million dollars but that being said i haven't had a project that's just you know kind of talking with someone but i really haven't run into that most people have Enough room with some changes that aren't drastic. Mm-hmm. I would say putting in flush beams to get them up out of the living space and getting rid of ductwork and maybe rerouting plumbing to get it all up into the floor. And what a lot of times people don't realize is basements weren't, you know, at least in older homes, weren't meant to be living spaces. Right. So a lot of times you have to kind of walk it backwards and 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 make it a living space first you'll notice there's like a big drain in the basement well they got wet and that was okay because there was nothing down there it just went down the drain but nowadays when a basement floods it's kind of a big deal yeah (laughs) people have store all sorts of stuff down there and then if it becomes a living space it's a really big deal so waterproofing a basement is Probably the biggest one yeah. when converting that type of space, which that... not possible. I have a basement now, a project where it's literally slugs in the basement because oh. it was so moist. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, good. Like, you've done the work for me. Is there moisture here? There's a slug. There's <laughs> definitely moisture. So, so all of that stuff has to be mitigated first before you start putting carpet down on something like that.
0: Absolutely. That seems fairly <laughs> essential. Now thinking about once you've established if it can be done, how you're going to go about it, where you're going to build it and stuff like that, then there's the actual design of the space. And I know that in the past, these spaces were often thought about for like the mother-in-law use, right? Letting your parents come live with you. And so they were really focused on the elderly, but with the reverse empty nesting that's happening, Mm -hmm. a little bit more multi-generational living in general, rental spaces, work-from-home spaces... What's your process for either thinking about how to design a space specifically for those needs, because I know you are a certified aging in place specialist, or trying to make a space as multi use or flexible as possible?
1: I really, so this is what I found with my aging in place specialist. Nobody thinks they're aging. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody really wants to talk about their aging, even if they admit that they might be getting older. <laughs> so I really, in a, so I really focus on the universal design aspect of it. Like I'm not, we're going to make this doorway wider. I'm not going to tell you why, because <laughs> you, know, you won't even notice 32 34 36 inches you know people notice it gets really small but they don't notice when it's bigger so i'm like we'll just put in this size door and you know it will make a huge difference in the future possibly if nothing ever comes to fruition with needing a wheelchair it's okay it's just a wide door so a lot of things i really focus on that part of it because no one wants to design their space with that in the forefront Although that being said, I do have a client now who she is so awesome. She is 80 years old and she did so much research before contacting me and she is so well aware of her, you know, what she's going to need to live there and she is fully on board with the planning and designing a space that her and her 85-year-old husband can live in. So by that point, I think a lot of people have, or they're like, hey, if I'm going to live on my own, it's it's got to be, you know, it's got to have these certain things. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do kind of sneak it in there, so to speak. And that tends to work
0: better than saying, we're going to do an aging in place design. <laughs> right. Well, and the reality is any of us at any age could break a leg or become otherwise incapacitated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that has nothing to do with age. It just has to do with mm-hmm. that, as you said, universal accessibility so that your house isn't an obstacle for you no matter what's happening. Yeah,
1: and that's a big one. The, the accident, you know, if you if, break a leg, if you're using a walker or even just the foot scooter, you know, the people that mm-hmm. have one leg and then I don't know the medical term, <laughs> but they have <laughs> like, it looks like a scooter for their leg that they have to hold up. But any sort of wheeled device. And a lot of times even people with small children you know, like, so I really kind of try to encompass all of that where, you know, no one wants to fall down in the bathroom, right? I mean, (laughs) none of us. And it's one of the most dangerous places in the home. So anything we can do to make it safer is going to be good for everybody. So I really try to focus on that aspect of it. And And then maybe even plan for A big one is cabinets, you know, like you can get a cabinet that looks completely ordinary. And then maybe if it comes to a point where you need to use that kitchen in a wheelchair, you can convert the the cabinet to have space underneath it so you can get there with your wheelchair. So there's lots of things too that can be as long as you always keep aging in place in mind or universal design in mind, you can convert those things as they come about very easily. Another good one is blocking in the wall, like in Mm. a bathroom. no Mm -hmm. matter what bathroom I'm designing I'm like let's just put blocking all over in the wall in that height where a grab bar might be and then when it comes time for that it's just as simple as putting in a couple screws not trying to find a stud or worried you're going to hit a plumbing pipe or
0: right so when you say blocking you're talking about some wood that's hidden inside the walls behind the tile it's not unsightly it's just there so you have something to screw into later
1: no one would even know it was there. Yeah, so it's something totally hidden that can make such a big difference later on.
0: And cheap, you know, it's just, yeah. it's
1: just scrap wood usually that you put in there, so super easy to do. I try that's- to hit all those super easy, super low budget type things.
0: That's super. Now you've gone through your own remodel mm-hmm. and we all know that no project is perfect. So when you think about the addition that you did, the goals that you had and you look back on it, is there anything you would have done differently? Cost was a big front of mind for me, so I'm very
1: conscious of that with all of my clients. I try to do, you know, everything, put it all up front, and I try to do things in phases because what I learned from mine is that well, the big thing I learned from mine is I had a designer that showed up once, took measurements, went home, drew up a plan, and said we're done, and. I was like, but we're not done. (laughs) You you didn't even ask me what I wanted in my space or you didn't ask me, like, I don't want the stairs there. My house isn't a grand entrance stair type Mm -hmm. of house. I want my stairs in the back of the house, you know, in a private kind of stairwell. And so I, I, The one thing I learned from that is like, I really want, would have wanted to work with someone that had a lot of back and forth with me. And we really nailed down a design that was going to be long-term and perfect for me and my family instead of. You know, there's a couple things that I'm like, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that. But at the time, you know, this was twenty-five years ago. So, you know, it was before I was even started my company at all. But I learned a lot from it. And with my business, I'm like, I don't want to do it that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't know exactly how I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to do it that way. I feel like design in the home is so personal that you can't just slide something, you know, be there once and slide a design across the desk and say, there you go. So there's a lot to it when it's your own space. So much more than say a commercial space or a or a space that you're not going to be living in. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times my clients will say their backyard cottage is for rental, but then along the way it becomes pretty personal. (laughs) You know, they they're like, I get to design this thing. I want to make it how I would like it. And I would You know, might want to live there, which is good because it has happened that way that they've got done with this brand new customized space. And now they're like, I want to move in there, (laughs) (laughs) rent out my old 1920 house, right? And move into this really cool, nice, you know, perfectly designed space that I very low maintenance. And, you know, so yeah, I would say my approach to design was very much driven by my experience with my remodel because it's such a personal space and you really need that to you need that back and forth and you need that feedback from the client to really nail down something that's a really big investment
0: yeah now you you said that the design that you were handed had like this grand entrance kind of staircase did you end up with that or did you then take those designs to somebody else or did you rework them on your own like what did you do when you went this isn't what I wanted Yeah, I sent it back. So
1: I have to set the stage for my remodel. I had two kids. One was six. Well, one was almost a year old. One was almost three years old. And at some point during the remodel, I got pregnant for the third (laughs) time. And I was GCing the project. (laughs) So there was so much going on that I really had to pick and pick. Okay. Pick my battle basically this staircase is all wrong it needs to go over here handed it back he did it you know he, he updated it and sent it back which is good so I did get that taken care of but there was a lot of little stuff that we we're like if we only had more time or and had more back and forth we would really have an end design that we truly love. Mm-hmm. No, me, both me and my husband do a lot of work on our house. So we've kind of um, made that happen over the years anyways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the time it was just get her done and <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes. Yes. Yes. To whatever the, co- you know, the, the framers were asking me or something, but like, we just need to move into this house. Right. And moved okay. in on Christmas day with plywood floors and unfinished drywall well finished drywall but not primed or painted yet and one of my kids i was potty training at the same time i was laying tile in my bathroom and so he was running in there to go to the bathroom you know they always wait till the last minute well i had removed the toilet and he went running into the bathroom to use the toilet and there was no toilet oh (laughs) luckily it was my boy child so he improvised and just (laughs) down the, the sewer pipe. <laughs>
0: oh, <that's
1: hilarious. laughs> but he was so mad at me. I was like, I, I just couldn't have, wasn't thinking ahead, just doing my tile job and, you know, pregnant doing that. So really not thinking about anyone else, but getting that job done. And yeah, that was
0: one of those things where it was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. And obviously as designers, we and contractors, too. We would recommend that people don't do design or modeling in an emergency, you know, in a hurry. Yes. But, you know, a lot of times what sparks these projects are life changes. And so you can't mm-hmm. always plan for the perfect time. It's like trying to yeah. have a baby at the perfect time. There is no perfect time. These things exactly. are always happening when life the normal life is already happening.
1: And I really coach that with my clients. I'm like, we're gonna do tons of planning. We're gonna do all the drawings. We're gonna pick the finishes. We're gonna pick the appliance. We're gonna get it all done. So that when those things crop up, it's not a huge emergency, it's just a little emergency. Because we've done so much pre-planning and thinking about what could happen that we're very prepared for something To not go right, because in a remodel or construction project, it's very likely that something will pop up, whether it's personal with the family or personal with the contractors or maybe a city requirement that Mm -hmm. comes up or in older homes, you open something up and the termites or mold or, you know, something is in that wall that wasn't known. So it will happen. It's just a matter of really mitigating when it does happen
0: right having in- enough planned that you can you have energy left over to deal with the unexpected things that'll pop up
1: yeah and i always try to say you know this and this might happen like i'm i'm kind of a doomsdayer designer <laughs> 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 i talk a lot about sometimes too much about this might be a possibility this might be a possibility but i don't want my clients to be surprised i don't want them to be like i had no idea that something that could happen and i think sometimes as designers and and contractors we sometimes forget that that we have so much knowledge that the client does not right? and so something that's really obvious to us might not be obvious to them like we're like well it's a 80 year old home of course there's probably some mold in the bathroom wall you know from when they originally did this and didn't have the building science information that they have now but Mm -hmm. a client doesn't really think about those
0: sort of things right absolutely So broad picture, what would you like people to know when they're thinking about these kinds of projects, whether it's ADUs or DadUs, backyard cottages, what is it that you would like them to take away today? The pre-research on their part is so good and there's so many resources for that. I'm gonna put up on
1: my site just a, because I feel like it's very scattered right now. So I try to put resources up on my site to say, this is where you can go find the generic information. And then I have a service set up where it's just a consultation where I I look at all that generic information mm-hmm. and take it with me to the consult. And we really talk about, okay, how does this apply to your lot to see and then we talk about cost a little bit before we dive into anything because they you just you need to know if it's possible. And a lot of times if the backyard cottage cost really takes them aback, I'm like, well, do you know about internal ADUs? <laughs> <Because laughs> those are usually a lot cheaper to, to to build out for sure because your foundation and walls and roof are already there and right. a lot of the utilities. So, so then, uh- The next step is usually a feasibility study. Like, let's dive into this and see what's possible on your lot. Now we know that you can do it, and we know kind of what it would look like for you. Let's talk a little bit about the design part of it Mm -hmm. and and really get to that. So I guess what I would want people to know is it's a process. It's not one contractor showing up and saying, yeah, I can build you a cottage. (laughs) And And then he leaves, and you're like, well, what about all those thousands of details that I need before I... You know, commit three hundred thousand dollars to this project, and right. you know six months of my life to construction in my backyard. So as much research as they can do, and then kind of the baby steps with me to see if if they have the stomach for this and and then how much I can help them because sometimes people are scared to do it or don't want to do it, but then, as they get more information and talk to me and kind of learn what the you know just get very much more informed that it takes some of that scariness away.
0: Yeah. Now, if you've somebody and the but either the budget isn't there or the property won't allow them to do what they had in mind, are you also able to help them come up with ideas to make the existing house work better? You know, maybe you're not going to create that separate living space, but let's say they were trying to create a better work from home experience or better multi-generational living within what they already have. They just can't for whatever expand on that. Can you give them ideas around that too?
1: Yeah, in fact, that's the other thing I do, besides a doomsday or designer, is I talk them out of additions, (laughs) (laughs) Because a lot of times, the only people live in this space, and so it's really hard, even in my own house, you know, when you live in a space to think outside of the box, it's like, well, this has always been the kitchen, or this has always been this spot, How, how can it ever be different? And so, like I had, a, I had a client who they wanted to really increase their the bathroom and their master bath and make it a true master bath, and had this big addition in mind. It's second story. You have a three thousand square foot house. There's two of you. We can figure out a way <laughs> to do this without adding any space. It turned out great. They're very happy with it. They got an office space also along with that. So a lot of it is just, it's like this puzzle of reconfiguring space. And mm-hmm. I can go in and look and say, oh, maybe this, maybe that. But it's really when I get the CAD out and start saying, okay, we're going to draw this to scale. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'll have clients that give me a sketch and the to scale part is missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> super, super important. <laughs> so I really get down to exactly how much space we have and how much space you need for certain um, rooms or appliances or functions that happen in that space. So yeah, there's usually a lot we can do within an existing space. And a lot of it comes down to learning how the client uses it now and how they foresee using it in the future. And a lot of times it's planning for flexibility, multi-use and flexibility. Yeah. That's, those are the keywords these days.
0: <laughs> I love it. So if people want to find some of the resources you were talking about on your website, or if they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? They can get in touch with me at 180 studios.
1: So number one, architectural design is what the AD stands for, studio.com. And on my site, I have a blog that's more a frequently asked questions blog where they can find out, you know, the what is an ADU? What is a DADU? What are the differences? And then I have a lot of places places where you can links that you can go to, to find out mostly the city of Seattle. Cause that's where I work, mm-hmm. but jurisdictions outside of city of Seattle have very different rules, usually easier because the lots are bigger. Yeah. So there's links for that on my website and then, you know, a consultation, that's probably the best way to just get that initial. And that's all on my website, you know, under the work, work with me to just let's talk let me talk and see. stand in your backyard and, <laughs> or in your home and let's talk so that all the information you're getting is super specific. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of generic stuff out there. And the city of Seattle, actually, this is a big one too, has something called ADU Universe. And if you just Google that, it will bring you to a site that will tell you a lot about your property simply by typing in your address. But once again, it's kind of generic information, but it's, it is at least specific to your lot. So it's a really good starting point for sure.
0: And you don't mind if people do some research on their own, or do you actually even prefer if they do some research on their own first? Yeah, I prefer it because
1: I feel like we all need to hear information multiple times Mm. before. Or we remember it or it sinks in so if they do some research and i come with my research and then we we kind of forget about the generic stuff that doesn't apply to their site you know bring together the specific st- stuff that applies to their site you know for example if someone has an environmentally critical area <laughs> if their backyard is in in an eca there's a lot that has to be taken into account with that where if someone does not have an eca then forget that information it doesn't apply to your lot it's it's just extra information you don't even need to know about but sometimes they don't know that right up front so that's kind of what the consultation is is pay attention to this part forget about that part and then let's really concentrate on only the information that has to do with with your situation.
0: And just for folks who might not know, an environmentally critical area would be like maybe if, they're, if they have a stream running through their property or something yeah, that like that? Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, <laughs> that
1: was a big one for me up in uh, Lake Forest Park, a stream. Beautiful, right? Who doesn't want a stream in their yeah. backyard? But now you have to stay 50 feet away from that stream to build. And so not many people have a backyard big enough for that. So all of a sudden that changes a lot of things about what people thought they could do because they have this big open area in their, you know, this huge backyard. They're like, I have plenty of space for a backyard cottage. Everything's usually doable. It's just, you really got to know the ins and outs of what to consider when doing that.
0: That's fantastic. And obviously to our listeners, we'll have all of the links that she just described in the show notes. So you don't have to have written all that down and remember it, you can go right to the show notes and find it. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much, Val, for sharing your expertise. It's clear that you have gone around this merry-go-round more than once on these (laughs) kinds of projects. I have, and I love the concept
1: of the ADU because it's just, it's a way for the average homeowner to really maximize their property Mm
0: -hmm.
1: for their family and or for income or both so it's a really good housing model and we're we're all getting used to living closer together more european
0: (laughs) and i guess that's a good point you know as expensive as it is to build another property on your property it's still less expensive than buying an entire new property so it's all relative to what are your goals and what do you have available to Um, invest in those goals
1: yeah and it's really fun to design your own house so (laughs) it's fun if you have the right help (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we talked about a lot of the the stuff I do that's that I will do for you that's the boring stuff but there's this fun stuff is left to the client pick pick your countertops and your flooring and let's have fun with it
0: yeah absolutely thank you so much for your time today I really appreciate it yeah thank you for having me it was fun And to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Creating Your Happy Place and that you feel a little bit more encouraged and informed about these kinds of ideas and empowered to make your home your happy place, whether that takes small projects or some big projects like we've been talking about today. If you feel stuck about how to make your house work for you at all, you can always check out my book, Happy Starts at Home. It's full of exercises meant to help you figure out why your home isn't working for you so that you can bring those problems to the table with somebody like Val or myself. And if you have a specific small de- design dilemma you just need some help with, you can always reach out to my team at Seriously Happy Homes as well. We can even meet with you over Zoom to figure out some practical steps to creating your happy place. But if you are looking at a whole edition, you should reach out to Val instead. In the meantime, no matter where you call home, no matter how big it is or how small it is, I hope it makes you seriously happy. Until next time.